you're tucked in. Because you are now in bed with Dr. Sue. Hello, folks. Welcome to In Bed with Dr. Sue. I'm your host, Sue Storm. Coming up, I'll be joined by my guest, Peter Tupper, author of A Lover's Pinch, A Cultural History of Sadomasochism. It is a fascinating subject. I have been reading the book. It is so cool. Peter knows this inside and out, and you're going to be completely enthralled with what you learn here tonight. Uh, But first, uh, we've got some things to get to, such as tonight's adult business news. And tonight's In Bed Adult Business News is brought to you by RateMyTinyPenis.com, the website where even the little guy gets to show off. Good day. This is the In Bed Adult Business News for Tuesday, July 24, 2018. I'm Sue Storm. In a report by Jordan Fisher for Indianapolis ABC affiliate WRTV.com, after arresting their first pimp in over seven months, Sergeant John Daggy is quoted as saying, We've been a little bit blinded lately because they shut Backpage down. Daggy said, I get the reasoning behind it and the ethics behind it, however, it has blinded us. We used to look at Backpage as a trap for human traffickers and pimps. By comparison, IMPD records just for 2018 turned up 48 prostitution reports. Daggy says it also removed one of the best tools police had for finding trafficking cases. Daggy says with Backpage, we would subpoena the ads and it would tell a lot of the story. Also, with the ads, we would catch our victim at a hotel room, which would give us a crime scene. There's a ton of evidence at a crime scene. Now, since Backpage is gone, we're getting late reports of them, and we don't have much to go by. On July 19th, U.S. District Court Judge Richard Leon heard the Woodhull Freedom Foundation motion for a preliminary injunction against the enforcement of FOSTA based on First and Fifth Amendment violations. Judge Leon said that Woodhall and the Justice Department attorneys may file supplemental pleadings within 10 days of the receipt of their transcripts. He did not disclose when he would rule on the motion for the preliminary injunction, but Adult Business News will keep you informed for further updates regarding this motion. According to the Associated Press, an attention-grabbing pimps campaign for the Nevada legislature has sparked an anti-brothel effort that sex workers fear could spread to parts of the state that allow legal prostitution. Hmm, I wonder who that attention-grabbing pimp might be. Could it be Trump-loving alleged rapist Dennis Hoff? Why, yes it is. Proponents of the referendum say legal brothels open a door for human trafficking. There's those words again. And could clearly use a dictionary to look up the word legal. Women at the Mustang Ranch say closing legal brothels would actually mean more money for pimps and less safety for prostitutes. Donnie Gilman, son of Mustang Ranch owner Lance Gilman, wants initiative supporters to know that their operation is a clean business. All the women who work at the Mustang Ranch go through rigorous annual FBI background checks, said Jennifer Barnes, a longtime madam at the brothel. The Mustang Ranch says it employs more than 160 people on a $5.7 million payroll, including $4.3 million paid to workers called courtesans. 
The brothel also donates about $150,000 every year to senior centers and food banks, while paying more taxes and fees per square foot than any other business in Nevada, their staff said. The supporters of the initiative also have suggested that legalized prostitution harms regional economic development because clearly we can't have seniors getting together or, God forbid, starving people eating food. Eric Wexler for ABC Action News in Tampa, Florida, reports that Pasco County authorities are sending out a warning. If you're looking to buy sex online, especially from those underage, beware. Intercept bots are the new technology helping the sheriff's office combat online solicitation of sex. Instead of timely sting operations with actual people posing as sex workers, the fake ads actually go to bots who can message back and forth with those soliciting sex. The bots then collect all the information from the sex buyer and send it to law enforcement. Data collected by the bots may have the sex buyer's name, phone number, address, place of employment, and more. Pasco County is the first area in Tampa Bay to use this system as part of the Trafficking Free Zone program. Adult Business News would love to know where these ads are being placed since the federal government's enactment of FOSTA caused a landslide of advertising sites to shut down. Hard to use those bots if you have nowhere to put them. Clearly, this warning is for those of you using any existing offshore ad sites. Remember, where the ad site is located doesn't protect you. And finally today, from the Get Your Head Out of Your Own Ass Department, feminist writer and author of the book The Pimping of Prostitution, Abolishing the Sex Work Myth, Julie Bindle, wrote a piece for the Telegraph.co.uk snubbing the very notion of decriminalizing any form of sex work after traveling the world clearly in pursuit of the most disturbing realms of the sex trade. In this scathing article, Ms. Bindle states, and I quote, But as the Telegraph reports today, prostitution is not just another job. For every happy prostitute, if one really exists, there are thousands for whom life is sordid and dangerous, dozens of liaisons a day with down-at-heel strangers in alleyways, parks, or filthy slums, routine beatings, rapes, and extortion, HIV and syphilis, cheap spirits and ruinous drugs. These are the grim realities of prostitution, legal or otherwise, the world over. What the liberal analysis ignores is the market. Prostitution is seldom a simple transaction between two consenting adults. It's a racket run for profit. Pimps, brothel owners, gangs, and organized crime syndicates are behind every red light zone from Holbeck to Harar. Their public face is a slightly more respectable lobby of sex profiteers, such as those running escort agencies and strip clubs. They put themselves forward in the media, arguing that the safest way to run prostitution is to legitimize it. Many of the so-called sex worker collectives you see quoted from time to time are funded by this end of the business. End quote. Although Ms. Bindle goes on to somewhat praise the Nordic model of decriminalization, which puts the onus of the transaction on the buyer, it is this general tone of all sex work being evil, underhanded, vile, and filthy that creates these ridiculous laws that only further denigrate and marginalize an already marginalized section of society. 
Congratulations, Ms. Bindle. It is alleged feminists like yourself who are actually killing more women in the name of female power. So to you, Ms. Bindle, we give the 21 bowl salute. This has been the InBed Adult Business News heard only on InBed with Dr. Sue. For these and more stories, head to FostaUpdates.com. Opinions and sarcasm are strictly my own. Well, come on, let's see it. Drop your pants. Show us what you have to offer. <laughs> Isn't that all? At RateMyTinyPenis.com, your pin dick will be seen by hundreds of unique visitors each day, all of whom have the ability to rate your tiny member and leave a comment to tell you exactly what they think of it. Can you imagine the humiliation and exposure you'll experience? Well, why just imagine it when you can make it a reality? And the best part? Everything is 100% free. You're welcome, Shrimp Dick. Now go on over to Rate My Tiny Penis right now and submit us your most pitiful, disgusting dick pic for all the world to see. Whether you'd like to explore the idea of becoming a phone sex operator or are looking to begin or even expand your independent phone sex business, Lynn of Phone Sex Secrets can help. Phone Sex Secrets offers help and advice for PSOs, including articles on everything from Phone Sex 101 and industry news to marketing to how to build your business. White papers are available for purchase and immediate download, including the exclusive Phone Sex Secrets caller survey results, in which nearly 5,000 paying phone sex clients answer questions designed to help you drive your business. Personalized consultation services are also available. Lynn has been featured on Chicago's WGN Radio, ABC's Good Morning America, and elsewhere. She's ready to stand behind you and teach you how to become a phone sex superhero. You can find Lynn on Twitter at Phone Sex Secrets. That's at Phone Sex Secrets. And her website is phonesexsecrets.info. Again, that's phonesexsecrets.info. This message is for Flirts on Night Flirt who would like to have exclusively designed listings but don't know how to code. My name is Robin Wildheart, and I've been active on Night Flirt since 2008. Back when I started, I didn't know anyone who did coding for flirts so I learned how to do it myself. Now, I provide a service that does all the coding for you. Just send me a message and I'll explain how easy and affordable it is to get all your coding done for you. Stop worrying and get fast, friendly service. Satisfaction guaranteed. You won't make any payments until you're completely satisfied with how your listing looks. Get in touch with Robin Wildheart on Nightflirt, Twitter, or FetLife. The sooner you send me that message, the sooner you'll get that attention-grabbing listing.
And we're back. I have a couple of quick shout-outs before we head to birthdays in the tour report. I want to say hi to Mistress Lilith and Miss Sammy Ray Schwartz and, of course, Mistress Gambit. And somehow the lovely Samantha Jones was missed on tonight's tour report, but I'm remembering her here by telling you that she is still in the D.C. area right now until Thursday. And to book Sammy, you can email her at exoticsamanthajones at gmail.com. We'll be right back with my guest, Peter Tupper, right after birthdays and the tour report. It's time for In Bed Birthdays. A big happy birthday goes out to the ever-lovely Kaya. Her birthday is this Thursday, July 26th. And on July 29th, Contessa Zoe Aspasia has her birthday. August the 7th, Belle Darlin has a birthday. And Slave Dean, his birthday is August the 11th. And finally, on August 29th, it's Cassie Cush's birthday. To see all the birthdays for our listeners, head to InBedWithDrSue.com and click on Birthdays and select the month to see the amazing performers who have birthdays coming up along with their wish list. So you can send a little something to your favorite performers. Also, if you want InBed to promo your birthday and wish list, you can head to InBedWithDrSue.com, click on Birthdays, And it's absolutely free to get your birthday on the show, online, and on Twitter. That's it for In Bed Birthdays. This is a tour report on In Bed with Dr. Sue for July 24th, 2018. You lucky fuckers get Danielle Squirts and Dixie Lane touring together right now and making their way down to the southern states. July 24th to the 30th, they're in Chicago. July 30th to the 31st, St. Louis. July 31st to August 1st, Indianapolis. August 1st to the 2nd, in Louisville. August 2nd to the 3rd, Nashville. August 3rd to the 4th, they're in Memphis. August 4th to the 7th, they're in New Orleans. August 7th to the 8th, Baton Rouge, and August 9th and 10th, they will be in Houston. For further info on booking either of these two ladies, you can head to Danielle's website, which is daniellesquirts.com, and Dixie's, which is dixiesladies.com. The ever-lovely Mistress Chloe Rose will be joined by Miss Lacey Sedona, July 28th and 29th in Sacramento, California, for Double Dom sessions and custom clips. For more info, or to book a session or clip, head to either mistresschloerose.com or thehumiliationpit.com. Don't forget that Goddess Genevieve will be in St. Petersburg, Florida, August 9th to the 12th at FETCON. For tickets to FETCON, head to fetishcon.com. Goddess Vicky will be in the New York, New Jersey area, August 2nd to the 5th, and in Philly, August 10th to the 12th. She'll be available for real-time Dom sessions and cash meetups. For more info, you can hit up Goddess Vicky on Twitter at GoddessVickyXO or email her at GoddessVickyXO at gmail.com. Riley May will be in Toronto August 8th to the 13th. Duos are available with Pearl Lovely, Karina Lee, Harley Stone, Jane Way, or Vivian Lake. Good Lord, you guys are lucky. Make sure you pre-book, and to do that, go to RileyMay.com. That's R-Y-L-E-E-M-A-E.com. 
Exotic Vivian from the Sexy Escort Guide podcast will be in Minneapolis September 6th and 7th. Now would be a good time to get your booking in at ExoticVivian.com before she's booked up. BBW porn star Velma Voodoo will be available for meet and greets in the New Jersey area for Exotica Expo November 2nd to the 4th and in Vegas January 21st to the 28th, 2019. For more info, email Velma at xvelmavoodoox at gmail.com. Speaking of which, Exotica Miami just wrapped up another crazy successful expo this past weekend. The next Exotica Expo is in Edison, New Jersey, November 2nd to the 4th. Tickets are available at exoticaexpo.com. If you have an upcoming tour and would like to include it on InBed's tour report, simply go to InBedWithDrSue.com and click on Contact. And that's the tour report. I am Siren Reina. I am a certified and trained hypnotist. This means that I embed all of my recordings with legitimate hypnotic commands. Now, role-playing can be fun, and I enjoy a good story as much as the next person. But if you really want to please me, you will hand me over the keys to your mind and let me do what I do so well. Leave little triggers, leave little thoughts, leave little hauntings and make you question your reality how much of it is you how much of it is me how much of it do you want to be me you want to hand me your mind don't you you want to let go feel free have fun and relax that's right hand me the keys to your mind and let yourself be my hypnotic pet. That's right. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Siren Reina. S Y R E N R A Y N A. Enjoy being addicted. Do you crave to escape from the ordinary? Hi. I'm Goddess Genevieve. I am a central erotic hypnotist and very creative cosplayer. And I use my silky, soft, velvety, sensual dominance to weave my control all the way into those special spots of your mind where you feel absolutely safe and warm. And encourage and we are very intrigued. So come on. Kneel before me and let's start your good boy training. And the siren voice goddess dot com. S I R E N Goddess dot and let's start your good boy training. Yo, this is K two Cocky and you're in bed with yeah. Dr. Sue. Yeah. Now go and check out my album on SoundCloud. SoundCloud dot com slash cocky got bars. That's Cocky Got Bars with a Z. Check it out. It's called Spice Cadet. My best album. Just know I got that cake. And I like that. Dude. 
We're back, folks. My guest tonight is an avid researcher and blogger of all things sadomasochism. Since about 2005, he has recently published his book, A Lover's Pinch, A Cultural History of Sadomasochism. Peter is a player and activist in the Vancouver BDSM scene. He has a ton of fantastic stories, and he is about to take us on a journey back through time. Please welcome author Peter Tupper. Hello, Peter. Hello, how are you doing? Very good, and how are you? I'm feeling good, sweating a bit in the summer heat, but uh, I'm <laughs> looking forward to my book launching soon. That is absolutely. So when does it actually launch? Well, um, you can actually, last I checked, you can order it on Amazon right now. Officially it launches uh, the 31st, and I'm doing a launch party in Vancouver in August. That's fantastic. It's not available in Canada yet. Yeah, it's not available in Canada yet, unfortunately. Well, of course. We're always second best, aren't we? (laughs) Well, yeah, I should be used to it by now. I know, especially with the publishing industry. So Mm -hmm. give us a bit of background on Peter. Who, like, how long have you been in the scene, and what got you into really researching the background of not only, you know, pseudomasochism, but basically domination and submission? Well, um, I got involved in uh, around 1994, and that was back when um, Usenet was the cutting edge of computer technology. Uh, It's like a very early form of Reddit. Mm -hmm. And um, around that time, I, uh, you know, I was in university studying my history degree, and I got interested in uh, kink around the same time I was, that was when I discovered alt.sex.bondage, which is a discussion forum for uh, kinky people. And um, that was how I got introduced to, you know, learned about this culture and started learning about books and learning about um, uh, different, you know, getting involved in the local scene uh, at the time uh, in Vancouver. And um, so that's when I met what was then called uh, the National Leather Association of Canada, BC chapter, and that went through a few permutations as well. I was involved in, I like put together uh, a local events webpage out of like hand-coded HTML. Um, and I had to give people this long, long address, uh, <laughs> web address, because I couldn't, I didn't know how to, you could get uh, your own web, your own domain names. I didn't know how that worked. Um, so I did that for a while. I also did like more old-fashioned promotion, working as a publicist. So I was doing uh, posters and flyers for different events around town. Um, yeah, so I was involved in a bunch of different events uh, uh, through through the 90s and uh, into the zeros, I guess you call them. Um, now there was a parallel thing here because when I was re- when I when I was just early into kink. Um, uh, I was also when I was studying uh, Victorian history and I read about uh, the relationship of Arthur Munby and Hannah Colwick. And Uh they were a 19th century couple who uh, a a gentleman and his maid of all work. And they both kept diaries, which turned up in historical archives in, I believe, the 50s. And they revealed that they'd been secretly having this uh, consensual master-slave relationship for uh, years, and uh, that was like something I sort of locked onto and remembered, but I didn't like sort of 
draw any conclusions to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I just remembered, oh, okay, there's people, there are people who are doing this in the past. Um, I was going, no, I was sort of going backwards a bit. Uh, I was going backwards a bit and thinking about history and looking into stuff. And I kept realizing, I wasn't doing any actual research, but I was curious about this because of my interest in history in general. And I kept mm-hmm. realizing, I kept hearing sort of these same um hand wavy explanations that didn't really go very deep in my opinion. Right. Um, so around 2005, uh, I was trying to make a career as a journalist and freelance writer. And um, I was thinking about, I, I, maybe I could write a nonfiction book and what am I interested in? Uh, um, history of SM and history of kink. And, I think that would be an interesting, I, as far as I knew, nobody had ever explored that in, in, in depth. And uh, there's, a, there's a saying from Toni Morrison who said, you should write the book you would love to read. So I started researching as I went uh, and blogging about it. Uh, it was first at uh, beautyanddarkness.blog.ca, and then I switched it to um, historyofbdsm.com. Uh, that produced a lot of uh, interesting, that project led to a lot of interesting things. Um, you know, my, the research that went into the uh, uh, Lover's Pinch, um, I presented at some different events and conferences around, uh, around uh, North America. Uh, I was also um, hired by um, Master Taino's Training Academy to edit the nonfiction anthology about consensual master-slave relationships. And uh, last year, it finally led to um, something like after 12 years of work, actually led to uh, getting an agent and getting a book contract. And uh, you can see the end result of all that work in uh, in A Lover's Pinch. And doing it the real way, not the self-published way, which is awesome. There's a lot of people um, that well, are forced yeah, that... to self-publish, but you got an agent. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I, cool. I, um, I'm... I was considering self-publishing, but I wanted sort of the, the credibility that would come with a, a regular, a, uh, with regular uh, publishing. Um, I was prepared to do that, I, uh, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm glad it, it worked out the way it did. So are we, because I'm yeah. telling you, this book is amazing. Let's start off by, um, if you will, because you've done the background in it, Let's get into the BDSM. There is a lot of back and forth play and has been for many, many years. What exactly, because everyone has their own um, meaning to the acronym, what exactly is BDSM? Uh, It's a portmanteau acronym combining uh, bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism, and slave, and master, and or mistress. So it kind so it of doesn't produces, it doesn't necessarily have to be the BDSM, meaning that each one is a separate word because we have an amalgamation of so many different words. Is that right? Yeah, it's um like I said, it's sort of a kludged together acronym for for covering a sort of a very broad. It strives to be as inclusive as possible of a bunch of different things that, that um, like, you know, there are people who do uh, dominant submission and aren't really into the sadomasochistic side. 
There are people mm-hmm. who do S&M play who aren't really into dominance and submission. Uh, there are people who, and I, uh, uh, I tend to view, for example, master-slave relationships or mister-slave relationships as a subset of dominance and submission. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, technically you should also work in an F in there for fetish, uh, which sort of overlaps with a lot of this, but it's also not necessarily... You know, there's people who like fetishes who don't have anything to do with dominance and submission or mm-hmm. uh, sadism and masochism. So, um, I mean, I've heard other people call it, you know, whatever it is that we do or kink or what have you. Um, so it's it's uh, it's it's kind of like all clutched together, but it works. So. What what area of kink, like, it's kind of weird. You're going through school, you are really getting into history, and you're tripping over kink stuff. But what yes. caught your eye personally? Because you, you're doing, you obviously are in the scene. Are you in the scene as a dominant? Like, how, oh, yeah. how do you play? I'm in it as a submissive and, um, and as a masochist, and I've always been very attracted to... Uh, I've been really attracted to powerful women and capable women and um, that uh, it wasn't until sort of later on in my life that uh, I sort of like had a, had a name for this. That's when I sort of mm-hmm. wandered into alt.sex.bondage and sort of like, Oh, that's what it is. That's, you know, here was this ideology I could hook, hook into. And um, that was what, uh, what drew me in. And I've, you know, I've, um, that's what I've been through my kink career. I've been, you know, a, a male submissive and male and male masochist. Um, okay. And I've, you know, I've been pretty consistent in that. I have, I've only like topped it like three or four times in my entire career, 20 plus years. Um, so I like, and I think it gives me an interesting perspective because I think like the, the heterosexual male submissive is kind of an under, underexplored quadrant of mm-hmm. uh of kink, and I'm hope that's something I'm actually considering doing a future uh, book about is uh, looking at at the you know kink from the heterosexual male submissive perspective. That's very true because BDSM. The first thing when you put BDSM say into Google Images, yes. immediately we are taken to images of female submission, female submission, female submission, and yep. it, it's yep. Yep. It, that whole end of it, the whole. Um, mistress and slave is quite big but it does get brushed yeah. under the carpet a lot and it would be nice to see you do something on that because it really is still leaning towards master slave with the female being the slave it just it just yeah. happens all the time so it would be great to see that kind of representation if you can possibly pull that off for us please <laughs> I'd lo- I'll, I'll, uh, oh, hopefully in a few years I'll be able to say yes to that. I'm that actually thinking awesome. it's like I think a lot of that has to do with that. Um, it's hetero male dominant and hetero female submissive is sort of more compatible with conventional heterosexual scripts, and um, so that's why and you puritanical know, thinking. Yeah, and Fifty Shades of Grey, that's why I think it was such a commercial success because it could, mm-hmm. it was compatible in that way. So was uh, Secretary, the film. Um, heterosexual male submission and female dominance is a very different thing that we're much, much less comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think that it's uh, it's it's just a very difficult thing, and I think that we just we're we're so uncomfortable with a man with a woman who is dominant, we're, and I think we're even more uncomfortable with a man man who is submissive. Is that that they're so going against the grain of what gender is our gender is supposed to be that mm-hmm. we we where we often like our reaction tends to be either horror or or uh humor it's like mm-hmm. you know a male submissive is must be funny it must be kind of the only way we can properly respond is with humor it's like oh it's silly it's not real and um or we know, jump the to the guy about, being a wimp yes. we do, we automatically jump to well obviously he's just weak not realizing yeah. that just because one is sexually submissive doesn't mean that they are submissive throughout the day. You mm. can be perfectly dominant throughout the day, and most of us have to be in order to survive. So, again, yeah, it's pigeonholing. You, yeah, or that it's that in submission there is strength. There is a, a absolutely you know, to show the loyalty and show the devotion that you have for another. That is an important thing. Um, and it's really hard for for uh, even like movies that talk, uh, even popular movies that show, um, you know, female dominant male submissive uh, pairings like something wild or um, uh, preaching to the perverted, there's still this sense of that the man must stop being submissive to be, uh, to be in a couple with the woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's a very, it's, uh, something we're still having a hard time adjusting to, um, you know, and so we, we, we've got, I mean, that's why people will buy stuff like secretary or 50 shades because it, they, it's less of an adjustment for them. Um, it would, well, it's more palatable. Male, yes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. It's, they can make it less of a judgment. It's, it's more familiar. They don't need to make the big, as big a leap to understand it. Exactly. So when you were doing your research, um, the first thing I think of, and I'm sure it, it clearly has to go back further than this, but the first thing I think of is the self-flagellation of some Christian sects. And yep. it, I would imagine, but it, it's got to go back way further than that, does it not? I mean, from the, we have to go back basically to the beginning of mankind, because we are a violent society, we are violent little creatures. Yeah, and it's that's that's very close to our capacity for sexuality and our capacity for uh, domination. So that's uh, it's a very it is there, and it's um, I think it's it's complicated because like when I was looking at Rome, um, like mm-hmm. Roman society, when there was I I mentioned the uh, the Villa of the Mysteries in uh, Mm -hmm. Pompeii, which was part of the excavation in Pompeii. And there's a scene of erotic flagellation in there. There's a scene where a woman is being beaten by another woman with a sort of a cane or a switch. And Mm -hmm. we don't, and it's, but it's like, we're not a hundred percent sure of what the context is of this. And is it, is it uh, the most plausible explanation I've seen is that this is part of a mural that depicts a, a marriage, right? But like, the, the whole Roman definition of sex, what is sexual and what is not, is very different from ours. It's, it's, a, it's so alien that to them, 
the whole idea of homosexual or heterosexual doesn't really make a lot of sense to them. It doesn't, it's not a meaningful, those aren't meaningful categories to them. So, um, so what we're seeing in the bill of the mysteries is, is it sex or is it religion? Is it, or do, are we making a, a false dichotomy, even trying to distinguish the two in this particular context? Um, and that's what you're talking about in the, in the, in the Christian flagellants. So many of them were, were pushing for the idea that this was a proper religious ritual and that should be done properly and that it could be done, you know, in keeping with God. It's their enemies um, who said, no, this is physical indulgence. This is uh, the flesh playing tricks on us. That's why we should forbid this. It's not, this is not holy. This is not sex. This is just uh, us indulging our baser impulses. And, you know, this, like, this confusion and this um, slippage between two categories keeps turning up over and over again uh, from the medieval, from the classical period with the early Christians and then through the Middle Ages and up into the Renaissance. Um, it's very, even in Shakespeare, it turns up in Measure for Measure, where they, uh, Shakespeare makes all these jokes that one of the characters in Measure for Measure who is supposed to be this very pious and serious judge is indulging himself through, through self-flagellation. So it's, um, it's, it's sort of like it got squeezed out of religion and turned up in sex. Because mm-hmm. it was not um, originally basically meant to recreate the 39 lashes, which was the whole basis of the Christian end of it, was that they were putting themselves through that again, right? Yeah, imitation of Christ was a big part of that. And people would, right. you know, meditate on the image of Christ being beaten or the image of Christ on the cross. And, um, you know, people would have these, like, these little handheld books that they would flip over and there would be an image of Christ, um, you know, that they were supposed to meditate on. And that, uh, you know, translated into other Christian martyrologies and that translated into the the whole controversy over flagellation in the early in the early church, and whether it should be forbidden or not. Um, yeah, so it was it it is something I think so kind of specific to uh, Judeo Christian thought, or even more specifically Christian thought. That you know, and so you know, in the Middle Ages, you had all these images of of uh, saints and martyrs being uh, beaten and tortured. Pardon me, mm-hmm. tortured. Um, there was a, uh, the story of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, who was a nun who uh, cl- said she had been uh, experienced a transverberation, that an uh, invisible spirit had come to her and thrust a spear into her belly. And um, this was, uh, you know, people were saying, you know, to us it sounds kind of sexual, but, you know, at the time, it was there were people denying that there was that this would be should be interpreted sexually. Other people saying yes, it should be interpreted sexually. This isn't true piety; should more be a more cerebral thing. And there's a, Freudian, account, from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. there's an account of um, someone once made. Uh, I believe his name was what was Bersani. There was a famous uh, life-size statue of uh, Saint Teresa. Uh, being visited by the angel spirit. And, uh, you know, it looks very much like a woman, you know, moaning in ecstasy. 
and uh, supposedly there were uh, there was a man, uh, a person. They don't specify the gender, but a, a person was caught uh, polluting themselves in front of this sculpture, and uh, it's suggesting that there is something. This is there was this very strange and and hazy boundary between sort of religious ecstasy and physical ecstasy. And uh, that sort of gradually got squeezed out of, of the religious realm and into the sexual realm. Mm-hmm. At what point in your studies, when, when you were doing the research, has there ever been a clear delineation as to when we morphed from it being religious into sexual or have the two always been intertwined in some way no matter what there's always been a dialectic between the two it's it moved from one side to the other but um it's it's something that's hard to completely disentangle because there's even now today there are people who you know are are kind of invest spirituality in their kink they invest Mm -hmm. their you know, view it as a form of meditation or as another spiritual experience. So they're like um, putting religion back into kink where, where after centuries of being sort of drained away. Um, I can give you, there was sort of a hinge point, uh, which was around uh, 1500. And uh, there was a man named uh, Pico de la Mirandola who, excuse me, wrote a, a treatise on, um, a man who was a who liked to receive flagellation, and he wrote it in this in a non-religious context. He didn't he viewed this as sort of a physiological thing, not a not a spiritual thing. So he said he explained it in terms of um, so that was like a purely secular explanation of the desire to to be flagellated, and and uh, that was like a stepping point. But there are you know, many years later, centuries after that, there were still people like writing and thinking about about uh, this weird crossover between religion and kink. Um, Arthur Munby, um, whom I mentioned earlier, you know, he described uh, Hannah Kolick, her her labors and her devotion. He likened her to being like these, you know, religious women of the Middle Ages who would, you know wear sackcloth and silices and, and hair shirts and undertake mm-hmm. these, you know, profound labors to mortify the flesh and know God. So it, it's, uh, it keeps, there is a, it's all about that dialectic between the two. And there is, when you were just, you were just talking about the fact that there, that the whole um, spirituality thing is, is, sort of seeping its way back into the BDSM scene. And you mentioned in the book um, something that you found particularly poignant, which was a a point when um, suspension was being done and how this actually had absolutely nothing to do with sex at all. Can you describe that? Well, um, Native American, certain Native American peoples, um, mostly of the Plains, uh, would perform a ritual called, uh, variously known as the sun dance or the okipa ritual. And this involves um, having, um, you know, suspending weights from the body or uh, literally embedded in the flesh or even like literally hanging from uh, hooks in, um, 
embedded in the back or the chest. Mm-hmm. And this is a part of an important religious ritual in these, uh, for these cultures. And, um, you know, this is an amazing, and uh, one of the things that happens during, um, uh, you know, during when, when Native peoples were being herded onto reservations and, and uh, that uh, these rituals were banned. They were not allowed to be, they were expressly forbidden uh, along with other things. And um, it's uh, only decades later uh, that they sort of like came back as part of, both as a part of Native American, modern Native American culture, and as part of sort of the, the modern primitive movement. Um, but uh, a lot of it actually can be traced back to the movie uh, A Man Called Horse, uh, mm-hmm. which was, I believe, 1970. And uh, that movie uh, dupl- um, simulated, they didn't do it for real, but they simulated the suspension uh, uh, from the chest uh, for that movie. And that was apparently a very influential uh, film for the early modern primitive movement and also among native people. So that it's, it's come back. And now, so there are people, like I said, it's, this is kind of like, there are people who, some people invest a lot of, of spiritual spirituality in their modern primitive uh, practice. Some of them, not only a little bit, some of them, um, you know, don't have any sort of like certainly not any organized religion. So it's um, it is it's an example of a religious thing that has that has been adopted by people who don't necessarily practice that particular religion, but it does include um, or people who are really are more secular minded but uh, do it as sort of a personal a personal ritual. And and I have actually personally seen the um, suspension done with the because it's done a lot within the body modification um yeah. realm of things where i've seen the suspension done it is done literally through the skin and it yep. is because they are it, it, they're getting a dopamine rush they're getting that whole zen moment when they are dangling and when they are feeling that pull and it just mm-hmm. it sends them again into what would be considered, I guess, on our end of things, would be like a subspace. And again, yep. obviously, this has nothing to do with BDSM. This is strictly within the body modification realm of where everybody's hanging out and whatever. But it's it's fascinating to see, and it's amazing to talk to the people. Obviously, not during it. But afterwards, and and they are so calm and so Mm -hmm. serene, and I don't think people understand that as far as masochism is concerned, is that pain can actually be very calming. Can you explain a bit of that? Um, Yeah. Well, I would say that that there is an overlap between the kink world and the BDSM, the kink world and the body modification and modern primitive world. Uh, so I think that it's again there's a lot of overlap. This 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 is a there's all lots and lots of overlaps here. Everything's sort of uh, sorry everything's sort of messy. But um, yeah, it's like um, for example, one of those things I've I've certainly felt the endorphin uh, rush. But it's also I don't I try not to be too reductionist about it and reduce it purely to an an element of brain chemistry. Uh, that's certainly one part of it. I would view it as um, 
uh, as a release, it's like there's also the, the symbolic element to it, the, the idea that you're in this intimate trusting situation with another person, that you're letting them do mm-hmm. this to you. There's the, the symbolic element importance added to different, like, you know, to different clothing or different uh, contexts. Um, so it's like, I've, you know, I've been, I've, I haven't done, um, you know, my, one of my favorite things is to have a flo- is to be flogged. And mm-hmm. that is, uh, you know, gives me a profound sense of uh, excitement, but also a lot of calm afterwards. And it's, um, yeah, I feel very calm afterwards. It's, I feel very floaty on the endorphins. I also feel very close to the person who's, who's done that to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I want to feel, so I like to talk to them. And I, it, to me, I feel, uh, you know, I just, you know, that I'm cuddling with them in the aftercare room or, you know, on the aftercare couch and talking to them. And that's, that's how, what, what it works out for me. And I felt that, um, like, for example, my, my rec, I've also recently gotten into uh, temporary piercing mm-hmm. and uh, my record is having 77 needles uh, pushed through my skin, little pinches of my skin. And mm-hmm. that is, uh, that, that gives me, um, I mean, there's a, there's an endorphin uh, high from that as well, but it's also a very different experience in that instead of sort of this percussive wham, wham, wham feeling to it, it's more, mm-hmm. I don't know, like a, like a stringed instrument kind of experience. If I'm making mm-hmm. myself clear, it's like, you know, like a, a harp, a harp music of pain instead of per, uh, percussion music of pain. And right. um, yeah, but there's also don't discount the psychological aspects because like I used to be kind of phobic about needles and I've gotten over that through this, doing this through trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I don't, uh, and it's, I think it's even sort of physiologically changed me because when I started doing needle play, I used to bleed a lot and um, from it, and, you know, that's why you want to be careful doing this kind of thing. You want to, you know, wear uh, gloves and get tested and so forth. Um, but it's also like, you know, more recently when I've done it, I scarcely bleed at all, you know. Um, and, like, so I've had, you know, like this, I've had 77 needles put in me. I, you barely even know the next day, just a few red marks on my on my skin and it doesn't look like anything happened to me. So um, it's a, it's, I think we're all, and that, that's just me. So other people might be completely different depending on how their skin works and how their physiology works. So it's, um, I think that like it's, we're creating these spaces, these ritual spaces where these intense experiences happen. And, and uh, through the ritual, we have these experience, we have the, the permission and, and the conditions to achieve these altered states of consciousness that we can't do otherwise. Tell us about the story of Jack McGeorge. Jack McGeorge is, um, so going back to uh, 2002, this was like um, just in the, this was Thanksgiving 2002 in the lead up to the war in Iraq after 9-11. Uh, Jack McGeorge uh, was interviewed by a uh, there was a guy in the Washington Post newspaper doing uh, articles about uh, 
the weapons inspectors that were going to go to Iraq and look for weapons of mass destruction. One of them was a retired Marine uh, named Jack McGeorge, who uh, was pointed out was a, involved in the New England kink scene, uh, Black Rose Group specifically. And this was like literally on the front page of the Washington Post. And people were saying like, you know, wait a second, aha, you know, this is, this man, you know, do we want this, or do we want this guy who's been keeping secrets uh, doing this highly, you know, high priority mission? And um, it turned out that McGeorge has, you know, not been, had, you know, had not been keeping this secret in a long, long time. Uh, he had, you know, spoken to, he'd been, uh, you know, working in high security clearance jobs for decades. He'd always told people about his kink life. Um, that had never been a problem before. Uh, people were, and uh, so, yeah, but there was all this controversy, and people, you know, some people were treating this as like, of course, this man is illegitimate. We have, this shows that they're not they're, This is not a credible institution to be uh, sent to on this high priority mission. In other words, making sort of jokes like, you know, they have this picture of a guy in full leather man. Uh, outfits walking towards the uh, checkpoint going into Iraq. So it was kind of a uh, kind of a cluster. Um, years and years later, uh, Jack, I was you know interested in this and been following this case, and I thought that this was like a major, an interesting turning point in the idea of you know kinky people as their role in society is this. Is this like a gay person being uh, denied a government position or a high security position because of their of their sexuality, um, you know, or is it or is this not comparable? And uh, I was writing about it on my blog, and I put out an open just you know I said, hey, Mr. McGeorge, if you're listening, reading this, uh, please get in touch with me. I'd love to interview you. And to my surprise, he did. Oh, and this epic. is kind of unusual because yeah, this was years and years after this happened, but. Mm. Um, he was uh, a very um, uh, he'd uh, very rarely spoken to uh, interviewers after this, and uh, he was nice enough to call me. So he told me his whole life story. Well, not his whole life story, but his life story in kink. And he was like talking about how he got started before the modern kink scene, as such, got started in the 1970s. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, he was. Uh, 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 how he was lucky enough to meet other people, how he got involved in the kink world at the time, um, you know, how the fact that he'd always told people about his kink life, so uh, they always decided, well, I guess it's okay. They can't blackmail you about it, so I guess you're good. Um, right. And uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I always thought it was a fascinating incident of, of SM sort of turning up in, in, uh, you know, it's intersection with politics and intersection with history and, and how people, it's, I've got a very productive situation in revealing how, what people think of kink and, and um, whether people, whether, uh, you know, wh- how and why people uh, either stay in the closet or don't stay in the closet about their kink life. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very flattered that he was uh, good enough to give me an interview. What, I'm just like I, I'm finding it because I haven't gotten to this point yet. How is it that because this is what I'm dying to know this. 
how does Uncle Tom's Cabin somehow take us into like regular modern day BDSM pornography? Okay. So what happens is that um, Uncle Tom's Cabin was an incredibly popular book published in 1852. And mm-hmm. it was an extremely, uh, it was about uh, a slave's, uh, you know, slaves, uh, a slave family in this American South. And they were trying to escape and live with the hardships and separations of slave life. And mm-hmm. um, now I should be careful that Harriet Beecher Stowe, the woman who wrote it, was very careful, was, you know, come from a, she was careful not to write anything terribly salacious in the book. Mm-hmm. However, the book turned into this mass multimedia uh, franchise with all these different, you know, illustrated versions. There were uh, card games, there were board games, there were unauthorized uh, live action uh, plays, some of which were very, very strange and included all kinds of things like um, dance numbers and new characters and boxing matches and giant dogs. Good Lord. So some of these media turned out to be a little sexy. They turned out the the flag, the whipping scenes uh, became a bit salacious. Uh, The women were posed, you know, one scene – in the original text, it's like a woman named Prue, who is this ancient alcoholic wretch. And in the illustration for one of the unauthorized editions, uh, she was depicted as this young and shapely woman, um, you know, stripped bare and in the sort of, you know, boob and butt pose. And um, this was an unauthorized edition, but it was, it proved to be very popular. And there were other, um, art forms, articles, and, you know, different media that depicted scenes that, uh, you know, put a sort of a salacious spin on it. And um, it was so much so that when when uh, Kraft Ebbing or Sigmund Freud were writing about masochism, um, they often quoted their patients saying is that they were, um, their fantasies were inspired by Uncle Tom's Cabin or Robinson wow. Crusoe or other, so that yeah. that was now. And I should I should make it clear that people have a way of reinterpreting things. Um, so when people, you know, when people talk about being aroused by Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. the, what's going on in their mind has been like worked, run through. It's like that old game where you played telephones, you'd whisper somebody to the person right. next to you and it worked its way around the worked its way around the circle and by the time it got back to you it might be completely unrecognizable. It's a little like that. And uh so people who have that right frame of mind, that right perspective, were the ones who uh you know saw in this. And you can trace the sort of genealogy of uh, erotic works published in England or America that would have um, that would sort of draw on in the late 19th century would draw on these familiar tropes of slavery and flagellation and and such and use that as the basis for sexual fantasies. I'll be damned. So it's it's almost as if 
through time they were sexualizing these things. Yes. Over like over time they were taking this, like you said, through this whole post office experience and sexualizing it more and more and more. Yeah, it came yeah, that was where it got uh you know, so things people would take, you know, little snippets of things like so much of what well but you know, before like modern kink media, people would like scrapbook stuff they'd like you know a guy would find some little picture of a of a woman in unusually high heels and he'd clip it out and squirrel it away with his other collections of things like right. um the the claws the the irving and irvine and paula claw they did like a whole bunch of bondage for and and photography they like you know made betty page famous um, mm-hmm. They got started because they were running uh, a business selling movie stills uh, from different, you know, in the 40s. And, right. you know, they, they noticed that guys kept coming in and asking for, you know, uh, you got any pictures of women, you know, tied up or anything like that? And they'd be like, you know, <sighs> digging them out of old, like, you know, old 1930s, um, you know, jungle epics and harem girls right. and stuff like that. And, you know, they, and, um, you know, the claws realized, aha, there's a market here. And they started uh, producing and, uh, you know, bondage photos and bondage uh, short films uh, and getting them all out to, um, and that was like a a major part of, uh, you know, one of the major nodes of the early uh, heterosexual kink world. That's where we got Betty Page, and that's how we got this whole iconography of uh, bondage art. And um, you know, right. uh, John Willie, famous bondage artist of the period. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Eric Stanton, um, you know, guys like that were were real tied to uh, these sort of loose networks that uh, ba- that involved the claws and their business. So what is the secret history of this entire thing that you have found? What is the most amazing thing that you figured out in all of this research that you've done? I think it's that people have a very strange way of eroticizing fear. Mm-hmm. Because so many very of these true. sort of icons of of kink are sort of like originally frightening things that we've come to eroticize. So the whole sort of harem image was all about our initial fears of uh, of people of Christians being abducted across the uh, across the Mediterranean and forced to serve as slaves in in North Africa, and you know that produced this whole swath of, of fantasies and and images that for centuries. And then it was the American South. Uh, people right. were, you know, there was this anxiety about about women being uh, molested and raped in this. Uh, like one book called uh, The Memoirs of Dolly Morton were all about what would happen if a white woman was treated like a black woman in the slave South. And mm-hmm. um, and that goes on today. Like the, the whole Nazi exploitation thing, like the, the Ilsa movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same effect. It's like this whole fetishization of this, the, the images attached to fascism. Um, 
so that you get movies like uh, The Night Porter and Ilsa, She-Wolf of BSS. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. Ilsa is her, it's really interesting because uh, Diane Thorne uh, did three other movies where she basically played Ilsa, but it's like they're completely different settings. She plays this, this sort of archetypal character. So first it was Nazis, then it was like uh, oil republics, you know, uh, Middle Eastern oil states and their harem keeper, their harems. And uh, then it was uh, uh, a Latin American dictatorship. And then it was um, uh, Soviet <laughs> gulags. So it's like, you know, wow. wherever, whatever the deviant politics is, we will associate um, uh, Il- Diane Thorne will play this embodiment of this deviant woman, this, this evil woman produced by this deviant political system. And the same thing kind of happened with uh, Catholicism. Protestants were, were uh, making all these pornographic books about what happens to poor women who get stuck in convents and forced to be nuns. Um, that uh, there was a, like the, the history of uh, Maria Monk in Montreal was, a, was a, uh, you know, this bizarre porno gothic pro- propaganda and we're still mm-hmm. getting this today. Like there's this uh, uh, Mexican magazine called uh, Presidio, which showed had made this sort of a uh, pulpy um, joke uh, version of the Abu Ghraib pictures with Lindy England, uh, <laughs> but sort of like, you know sexed up and looking more shapely and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's um, so um, you know, and I realize that people get very upset about about like Nazi exploitation, you know, and I do like a whole chapter specifically discussing, you know, the, the role of fascism in, in kink. And, uh, and I think, but I also, and I realize why people get upset about this and why people don't want to, you know, that's their, that's a hard limit for them. And I don't blame them for saying that. But I also think it's like, this is kind of a, this is kind of an inevitable process. It doesn't it, – because it, it pretty much goes on with every single generation, every single political group. This yep. sort of stuff is constantly – like you said, it's, it's being interwoven right from the beginning. It's interwoven now. Mm-hmm. It's interwoven with the politics that are happening right now. So yep. it's never, ever going to end. The whole sexual, you know – like again, I keep going back to interwoven again. It just it, it, sex is always going to be involved in everything, yeah. and the more it seems, the more repressed we become, the more it comes to the surface. Oh, such yeah. as right like, now. Uh, Whereas, yeah, I mean, just like the, the whole PizzaGate business. Yeah, you know this this ludicrous story that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats were running a, a child prostitutional ring out of a pizza restaurant at the basement of a pizza restaurant that doesn't even have a basement. That's straight out of the anti-Catholic playbook of the early 19th century. There were really? all these stories written about, yeah, there were all these, uh, there was this famous book called uh, The Awful Con- Disclosures of Maria Monk and this woman who turned up in uh, claimed that she had been held prisoner in a convent in Montreal 
where she had been taught to be, you know, tortured and taught to be a sex slave for priests. And the children born of this were baptized and then strangled and then disposed of in a lime pit. And, you know, so there's always this temptation to, uh, you know, impute deviant sexuality to your, to your political enemies. Right. Exactly. um, Yeah. So that's, so Pizzagate, it's straight out of that. Um, even to the idea that it's like happening underground, that it's symbolic. It's like it's it's of the earth, it's of hell, it's out of the light of God. Um, okay. So that's why the and, and uh, you know and but you know the sad thing is people believe this enough. This that a guy believed this enough to like get a gun and go into this place and thankfully not actually shoot anybody, but it could have been pretty bad. Um, Slings and arrows, we do that all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's just who we are as a society. Would you not agree that we are still a puritanical society right now? We're a Puritans. Um, That's a big debate within the whole psychology realm. I'd say that there is a puritanical axis. There's a puritanical pull on society. That, that's what I find so peculiar is that, like, I'm looking at this, the, the incels, for example, Mm-hmm. And these are generally very young men who have been sort of raised post internet with like every form of sexual, almost every form of sexuality available for them to see. And right. they're the most, and some of them are the most sex negative, most misogynist guys. They're utterly convinced that they've re- regressed to a kind of 19th century view of female sexuality that mm-hmm. unless a woman is un- kept under strict control, they're sluts. So in their right. fantasies, like the women around them are, are um, you know, doing pulling gangbangs with their foot with the football team in high school as soon as they hit thirteen or something. That's that's mm-hmm. their imagine what they're imagining, and um, so and the, this brings them to the point where they they're talking about like socially mandated girlfriends or or something like that, and it's like they. <laughs> You know, this, these guys probably feel comfortable writing The Handmaid's Tale in Gilead. Yes, and there it's like you go. They, yes, exactly. So I think they're so, they're so disenchanted with liberal sexuality, with post-feminism sexuality, that they've, um, they've uh, kind of like regressed. They've, they've snapped back to Puritanism, the most patriarchal Puritanism. Mm-hmm. Hence the reason why that they are constantly the ones that jump on the sex workers for doing what they do. They're usually your online trolls quite a bit too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's scary. It's scary. A bunch of guys. It it uh, is because it's, they tend to go a little bit overboard in the sense of where you got to kind of be a little bit scared. Just because yep. they're not yeah, necessarily well, mentally stable because they've gone into yeah. this regressive state and it's a very angry state and it's not healthy. Yeah, I mean, you got like Elliot Roger, you got that guy who was the van attack in Toronto mm-hmm. um, a few years ago. Like this, this, please tell me that shooting in Toronto a couple of days ago that had nothing to do with that. Please tell me that had nothing to do with that. I don't know. Uh, I'm hoping um, not. It looks as though it is probably just a case of mental illness straight up psychosis because that's what they've been saying he has been dealing with literal psychosis not just depression 
So he's been dealing with that all his life. Anything yeah. could tip that over. Yeah, but it's like, you know, that that uh, but that Puritanism is something for them. That that's something there for them to fall into, mm-hmm. and it's still it's still there. That that Puritanism and that misogyny and that intense need to control women and blame them for their own lack of control. Um, it's it's scary and uh, it's uh, I, I'm hoping this I don't know how but I'm hoping it goes away and I don't think it will but <laughs> okay. it just is what I it is I think it's it's just yeah. another wave we're going through unfortunately and you've got the whole you know give them a participation ribbon issue in with that. Because you know, if there if there's no competition, there's no reason to try. So a lot of these guys are not coming out of their basements because what's the point in trying? I'm just going to get, you know, shot down by a woman anyways. And then that's yeah. what starts building up this rage. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I. I don't know. I'm still thinking a lot about it. I'm. I'm worried. Like I have a nephew who's 13 and. Um, I, I'm, I know that, I mean, I know the way, I know his parents are raising him, right, and that he would not fall in for this. But, um, you know, I do worry about, I, I'll be a bit, maybe it's my age showing, but I do worry about kids these days. And, but I'm also like, um, uh, you know, I think that there's, I, I think there's there's some seriously a lot of guys, because I kind of like fell through the cracks, mm-hmm. that uh, I think there's guys who like, um, you know, like so much, I was reading uh, Andrea Nagel's book, uh, Kill All Normies, and yeah. uh, about yes. the incels and that kind of mm-hmm. movement. And it's like so much of this, these seems to be these guys who are like just so, are just so out of it, who have no, like, that's, there's some like brief, there was like a brief, brief moment when inceldom, when the idea of being an incel was about mutual support, was about commiseration, was about like re-socialization and mutual help. And mm-hmm. that did not last. And that now it's, it's fallen so hard to um, just this toxic misogyny and hatred and That's what I was going to say. It goes into that rage that yeah. you have that boiling underneath. It's not, it's scary. It's, yeah. yeah, and I feel bad for these guys who are just who have just like fallen through the cracks, don't know, you know, apparently, you know, need to be told, like, what what went wrong with your life that you need to be told you have to shower every day, like, <laughs> that's I, yeah, I feel, it's they give up. Yeah, I just like I I I don't know if they're depressed. I don't know if they're this is some kind of undiagnosed mental illness. I don't know if this is like, um, you know, uh, the product of unemployment or on the, or or what. If it's getting worse or better, if it's this is just like a very violent uh, minor, a very loud minority that, uh, that it's still like, geez, I'm so it's it's. It's, I feel so sad. This is like, you know, I, I grew up on the first generation of the Internet. This was like, mm-hmm. you know, where there was this dream that it would be the, 
the place where the soul, where the spirit ruled and where people would communicate, you know, idea to idea. And instead it's producing like this horrible, it's producing this, you know, all this toxic misogyny and racism and, and um, anti-liberalism. And it's just like, uh, it's, it's, this is what sucks about getting old is that you see the revolutions that gave you hope fail. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And I mean, what do you, you know, you can't fix it. You can't fix any of it. So you got to just keep treading water and, and moving through. And hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, and I, I'm torn between, I'm torn between like just wanting to beat these guys with a two by four and give them a hug. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, so no, that doesn't. I I get it. You, you just feel like you want to pound them one to just try and get through to them, and yeah. then you also kind of want to go. You know, it's it's all going to be okay. I like because they don't that feel that. Gonna, I like to think that most of them are going to outgrow it. I like that are are going to at some point get out of their basement, you know, um, and get into the real world and stop obsessing over their maxillary width or whatever it is they're, they're obsessing about. Mm-hmm. It would be nice, but yeah. I don't know. I I think it's, we're in very weird times right now. We're in very changing yeah. times. So it's, it's literally, like I said, it's treading water right now just to try and see what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's around the next corner, and we are being ricocheted through so many different things right now. It's yeah. crazy, and I think that doesn't see, this, help this with a lot why, of mental health issues too. You see, this is why when you said we're we're a puritanical culture, it's not. I don't. I think that it's much more complicated than that. I think there's a puritanical strain. It's right. one of the vectors on society right now, but it's not. Um, it's not only things because it's like, you know, the, the, the guys who are like making the incel culture are not old fashioned Puritans. They're not puritanical and they actually don't absorb the ideas of sobriety or, um, you know, hard work and things like that, or, or, or modesty. They're much, much more, um, they're much more uh, invested. They're, you know, it's much more sort of variable. It's much more. Uh, that's why I think I think people are trying to push Trumpism. Trump is not a conventional conservative in any, in any way. He's like he's, he's like, more of a. He was always he, a centrist. Yeah. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think that that whole vocabulary doesn't really apply anymore. I no, think that true. like trying to call him a liberal or a centrist or a conservative is just is not. It's it, it's the wrong vocabulary. He's not. Um, he figured out a way to adapt his brand to a market, and that market happens to care about certain things that Trump himself, I'm pretty sure, doesn't give a damn about. But mm-hmm. he'll play to that to that base. He he figured out that you know there are these people who are really anxious about immigrants. They're really anxious about about what their country's going to look like in a few years. 
they they're very anxious about the idea of of leftists and or and women. They're not at all come. And he figured, okay, we we mobilize that, we you know keep pace with Steve Bannon and these alt right types, mm-hmm. and that's you know. And he pulled together this this um, that this coalition that is you know. It's certainly not liberal, but it's definitely not certainly not the old-fashioned definition of conservative. There, this is a much you know meaner and harder and uh, nastier breed, I think. And it's yeah. they, they certainly don't care anything about. Um, they're not. They don't care anything about old old guard manners. They don't. They don't. Never been to a country club. They've never been to. Um, that kind of stuff. There, mm-hmm. That's the. I think we're viewing a new, a sort of a new political system emerging right now that is not, Ugh. that is not, that is not uh, can't really be discussed in the in the same vocabulary. It, you know what? You're right. It's it's almost not able to be put into words because it's. Again, it's so fluid, it's changing so fast, and you're right, it doesn't sit within anything that really was classically conservative. It's certainly not sitting anywhere in the realms of anything liberal, but it, but you're absolutely right. Trump is only playing for his base, mm-hmm. and if that's what can get him what he wants, that's what he'll do, is he will play to his base, and he will tell them whatever it is, he figures they want to hear. Doesn't mean he's buying yep. into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's, Trump's been a rock. Uh, I mean, Trump figured out a long time ago that racism is the is the way to, you know, motivate people and attract people. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, back with the Central Park Five. You know, full, he took out full page ads in them in the New yep. York Times uh, about that and. You know, and that's he's been bang. You know, that's I think is is his. Um, that's what I think he's been pushing at, and and um, so it's not. But he doesn't. You know, he doesn't care about. Uh, you know, he doesn't care about uh, conserv- classical conservative institutions. He doesn't care about museums or. Anything. Oh God, no, no. He's, he only cares or, about himself. <laughs> or, yeah. So that's like do we need, and I think that that. I think what what uh, to to fight that we need to come up with people who are much more. We need to come up with a sort of a new uh, a, a new counter politics and a new way of of uh, you know a new you know somehow you know somehow run Hillary Clinton and Ber- Bernie Sanders through the teleporter and merge them together and and. <laughs> uh, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, Peter. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's definitely some. I think we're yeah, but we got things are changing. We got to put it together, and and we got to stop playing by the old rule book. Because there's no one playing by that rule book anymore. Yeah. Well, thank you, Peter. Yeah, so I really appreciate you being on the show tonight. Um, yeah. Let everybody know what website can they go to find out more. Um, obviously, we're going to have everything on our site, but where can they go to find in, and read your blog, read more about this? Uh, historyofbdsm.com. 
that's my blog. Uh, you can also go to uh, aloverspinch.com. That goes straight to uh, the page, and that's where you can order it. Um, that's where you can get uh, it's, uh, it is available for sale on uh, Amazon right now, uh, not yet on Amazon.ca. And um, um, so it's uh, mostly going to be, it's mostly going to be in, it won't be in most um, mainstream bookstores. It's mostly going to be in university bookstores. So probably mm-hmm. ordering online is going to be the best way to, um, is going to be the best way to get it. And uh uh, let's see. So uh, I'm also on uh, History of BDSM on Twitter, uh, and also on Tumblr. And uh, if you search on Facebook, History of BDSM, you'll find that as well. Um, you know, if you want to drop a note or ask me a question, uh, please do. I'd be glad to talk. And uh, you know, hot tips are welcome as well. <laughs> and yeah, you betcha. Yeah, and um, so I. I you know, this has been a long, many years of work coming together, but it's like something I want to put out and give to, you know, I want to show, I think this will be, I want to give something to the world and I want to give this yeah. to like something that I feel, I feel that this is a, like a, something missing in the world. This is the book mm-hmm. I would have loved to have read and I had to write it. And, uh, and we're I, glad that you I did hope, because it's good. And I hope that this. Thank you. I hope that I hope that this can make a difference to people's world. The way, like you know, reading uh, art, uh, reading different loving or uh, the uh, leather folk made a difference to me back in the nineties. And you, I have no doubt that this book is going to reach someone. I'm sure many, but someone just like it, just like those books reached you. So thank you very Great. much, Peter. I really appreciate you being on the show. And thank you. It's been a um yeah. So we will definitely make sure that there are links up so that you guys can get the book. Definitely get the book. The links are up there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Peter. We appreciate you being here. Okay. And uh thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> Bye now. I want to thank my guest tonight, Peter Tupper, for sharing his wisdom. It, you guys, seriously, this book is so intense and so, like, not intense, but it's so juicy. It's, it's so juicy. It has so much info in it, and it's so cool. So I want you guys to pick up this book. And I think for anyone wanting to learn the craft, anyone entering into this as a business or you're just starting, starting out, get this book. Because if you're going to learn about something, learn about the history of it first. Do your research, just like Peter did. And actually, he's done it for you. So if you want to learn more, and I suggest that you do, um, definitely go to In Bed with Dr. Sue. You're going to find links right there. You can just click on Peter's book, and it will take you straight to Amazon. Um, I want to say, if you get a chance, by the way, be sure to head to Kinky Magazine for a ton of really valuable information and insights into the BDSM and fetish world with writers like Kimmy Kaboom giving you the latest from the BBW world, new writers like Mr. Kai who just did an awesome article on Alpha Subs, plus yours truly who just did an article called Cuckolding, Is Cuckolding Being Twisted? And I can assure you, can assure you that it is. 
Um, to read all these amazing articles and interviews, you head to Kink E Mag. It's Kink the letter E Mag dot com. And on the next In Bed with Dr. Sue on Tuesday, August the 14th at 10 p.m., you'll be getting little old me and nothing more. Um, Mama Bear's pissed, so I'm taking over the airwaves again. Um, I'm about to spill the tea. First off, this is the first one. There's going to be more on the cuckold community. Not on cuckolding. There's going to be more that are going to cause a lot of people to get pretty pissy when I start doing these shows because I am calling everyone out. I am tired of the crap I'm seeing online, and everybody's going to get spanked, and it's not going to feel good. I expect you guys to call in when I'm doing these shows. If I say something that you don't agree with, call in. Debate me. That's what this is for. It's not just for me to sit here and sound off. This is for you guys to do as well. That's what the show is for. Call in. Give me, you know, debate me. Like I said, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I'm going to be teaching that night um, what cuckolding is and, more importantly, what cuckolding isn't in Cuckolding in 2018, Lies Uncovered. Um, the other thing is hit up the com for all my latest articles, including the recent DOM differences where I explain what each type of DOM is and why they all hate each other. And, of course, for all of the episodes of In Bed with Dr. Sue, you can go to InBedWithDrSue.com or, of course, they're on iTunes. So until next time, you guys, remember, as long as you're breathing, it's a good day. So try not to make it. Try to make it a happy one. Just remember, that's all, that's all that matters is whether you're happy. I'll see you on the flip side, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.